Would you like even more Witch Wave? Do you wish that you could hear from me and my other magical guests on a weekly basis? And what about doing monthly rituals with yours truly? Then come join me over on Patreon, where you'll get bi-weekly bonus Witch Wave Plus episodes, ad-free Witch Wave episodes, and detailed show notes for all. I also lead a monthly online magical workshop, which you can attend live or watch the recording of at your convenience. Rewards for some tiers also include magical merch and contests where you can win witchly prizes each month, as well as early heads up about my other workshops before they sell out. And you can even sign up for the opportunity to work with me one-on-one. And all backers get access to our exclusive digital coven where you can connect to a community of other wonderful Witchwave witches around the world. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to patreon.com slash witchwave now and sign up. It's a magnificent way to get more magic in your life and to support the show. Thanks so much. This season of The Witch Wave is brought to you in part by Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab. Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab is a fragrance house specializing in body and household blends with a dark, romantic, gothic tone. Over the years, they've collaborated with some of my very favorite creative visionaries, including Neil Gaiman, Jim Jarmusch, the Jim Henson Company, and most recently, Junji Ito. They continually return to inspirations drawn from witchcraft, paganism, and mythology, and they also have a sister store called Twilight Alchemy Lab, which creates oils blended and consecrated specifically for ritual use. The lab recently released their annual Halloween perfume collection, a limited edition series which includes scents inspired by folklore accounts of lycanthropy. Customer reviews of their products can be found at the fanrunbpal.org web forum, and you can check out all of their perfumes and other enchanting concoctions over at blackphoenixalchemylab.com. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Hello and welcome to The Witch Wave. I'm recording this up at our house in the hills where it is very bright and very cold and everything is covered in a layer of sparkling snow. 
I have my dear friend and assistant and all-around Vanna witch, Lara Antal, and her chihuahua Chuck staying with me this week as we're doing a sort of self-imposed artist retreat for me to work on my book, Lara to work on her next graphic novel, and I guess Chuck is working on his next performance art piece, which from what I can gather is a kinetic triptych on strutting, eating, and napping. It always motivates and inspires me to work alongside other artists, as well as to get to talk to artists who infuse their work with magic. And that is why I'm so excited to welcome Chelsea Wolf back to the show today. Chelsea is one of my all-time favorite musicians and someone I'm honored to call a friend, and it was such a treat to speak with her about the creative and magical expansion that she's been experiencing over the last several years, as well as about her new album, which is coming out in just a couple weeks on February 9th, and which is called She Reaches Out to She Reaches Out to She. As you'll hear in our conversation, Chelsea and I talk in depth about that evocative title, and it's made me think about the archetype of the triple goddess. It's interesting because the maiden, mother, and crone triple goddess triad is so ubiquitous now, especially in witchy circles. But it really didn't get codified in that way with those words until the mid-20th century, largely thanks to Robert Graves and his 1948 book, The White Goddess. This is a book that has been hugely influential on the modern pagan movement and the feminist movement, and it was a favorite of artists like Sylvia Plath and Leonora Carrington. The Maiden Mother Crone Triad is said to represent the phases of the moon, as well as the stages that feminine beings go through as they age. Though I've heard modifications which either swap out queen with mother, or add a queen phase to make it a four-phase goddess or four-faced goddess, as modern thinking now embraces other forms of feminine power in addition to motherhood. And there are also those of us who interpret the mother phase more broadly and think of it as a phase of nurturing any sort of creativity, not just procreation or procreativity. I actually wrote a whole essay about this for Sabbath Magazine in 2018. The essay is called Other Mother, and it's still floating out there in the ether somewhere online. Now, regardless of the maiden-mother-crone triad, triple goddesses have certainly existed cross-culturally for centuries. The oldest version that I'm aware of is the Three Fates, known in English as the Moirae or Moirai. In Greek, I understand the pronunciation is closer to Mire or Mires. This is all based on Greek mythology. And this triple goddess of the fates has a similar counterpart in Norse mythology called the Norns. 
Now, in the Greek version, these are three sisters, and their purpose is to allot the amount of every person's life. Each life is symbolized by a thread. And the Greek goddess Clotho is the goddess of fate who spins the thread, representing the beginning of one's life. The Greek goddess Lachesis, or Lachesis, depending on your pronunciation, is the fate who measures out the length of the thread, representing how long someone's life will be. And then there's Atropos, who is the sister or the fate who cuts the thread, representing when a person's life ends. The symbols of these three fates, or moire or mire, are sometimes shown as a spindle or spinning wheel for clotho, a measuring rod for lachesis, and scissors for atropos. Certainly, Hecate is also considered a triple goddess. In addition to being the Greek goddess of magic and witchcraft and necromancy and poison gardens and all that good stuff, she is also a goddess of the crossroads, especially crossroads that have three branched routes or ways that you can go. And she's often referred to as the triform goddess or the trifold goddess. Now, that moniker or epithet also comes from the idea that Hecate is a goddess of sky, earth, and sea, a goddess of three realms. Hecate's Roman counterpart is Trivia, and this emphasizes that threefold aspect of her right in the name, T-R-I-V-I-A. Anyhow, the Moire and the Norns and Hecate were all inspirations to William Shakespeare when he was writing Macbeth. And when he came up with his three witches or weird sisters, he was basing this on these different goddesses. And remember, the word weird was originally spelled W-Y-R-D, and its original meaning meant fate. Now, all of these goddesses and witches have to do with time, fate, destiny, and the magic of our life story. And as we're learning more about time and concepts like interdimensionality and the theory that all times are happening at once, or everything everywhere all at once, if you will... I love the idea that these three magical sisters or these three fates or three goddesses are perhaps an entity that we can invoke whenever we want to do our own sort of time jumping or play with the notion of communicating with our past selves or our future selves, because of course the triple goddess can also be past, present, and future. Heady, heady stuff, I know, or perhaps I should say heady, heady, heady stuff. But anyhow, Chelsea and I talk about all of these intriguing ideas and so much more in our conversation. But before we get to that, first, let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Witches. Carolyn writes... 
Hey, Pam, I just discovered your show. I listened to the episode with Untitled Queen, which was such a delight and inspired me to reach out with this query. I am a baby witch, and I'm getting in touch with a magic that has always been within me and with which I was attached deeply in my youth, but divorced myself from as I entered the world, in college, and throughout my 20s. Like many, I underwent a lot of changes during the pandemic, and embracing my magic and divinity has been one of the greatest triumphs of my life. One thing I am most looking forward to in practice is working through my fear of using my creativity, imagination, and skill to communicate and storytell. I am a trained actor with a hyperactive imagination, but have neglected my creativity and stifled my desire to produce when I entered adulthood. A decade's worth of ideas have come and gone, and while I'm ready to create and no more ideas will come, I am stuck in this capitalist mindset that reduces my artistry to production. I have so many mental lists of the materials and skills I need to acquire before I can really begin. Even though I know you don't have to be great to start, you have to start to be great. I am hoping you can share any insight, meditations, incantations, spells, rituals, potions, or other magic that can help me move through this block and just do. Thank you so much for your care and for sharing your passion with us. Hi, Carolyn. Thank you so much for your lovely message and question. I'm so glad you found us, and I am certain that other people listening can relate. So I'm just going to say right off the top that, as many listeners know, I am literally writing a book about this very topic, about the relationship between creativity and magic. And if all things go to plan, that book will be out in October of 2025. But that doesn't help you right now. So I'm going to give you a little taste so that you don't have to wait nearly two years for my answer. And one of the things that I'm writing about in the book is this idea of thinking about our creative work as an offering. In other words, it's not just a product to sell or a means of getting approval or income from a certain audience. Not that there's anything inherently wrong with those things, and I certainly engage in all of those different aspects of my work at times, too. But if I were to just get stuck on that material level of the work and only think about, you know, how will I possibly make this and what will people think of it and will it sell, will it get attention and all of those other capitalist things, it just sucks so much of the, not just the joy out of it, but also the shimmer out of it. The vitality, the juice, the soul. And that feeling can be incredibly paralyzing, as you've stated, and as many other people, including myself, have experienced. So for me, what I've tried to do is to try to reorient my relationship to my work as it being about an offering to spirit and a way to honor the gifts I've been given by using them 
and thus saying, okay, spirit, you've given me these gifts, and so I will show my appreciation for them by not squandering them. And honestly, it really frees me up when I think about my creativity in that way. Because, of course, I'm human, and I do, on some level, want people to like what I'm doing. And as someone who is self-employed, my literal livelihood is tied to that in my case. And I know that's not true for everyone, but those in that position have this added layer of pressure, too. So I'm certainly not above worrying about those more material things or having to handle or engage with the more material, you know, business-like aspects of my work too. But I just can't be wearing that pragmatic hat when I'm actually in the process of making the things. I have to see what I'm making as a means of simply expressing my magic, of being curious, and of honoring spirit and the gifts that spirit has given me. So when I'm writing my book, for example, believe me, I get racked with moments of self-doubt and anxiety. Is this good? What will people think? Do I have enough time? Will it sell? All of these things. I am not above those those worries at times. But I don't let those voices stop me. And when I'm working, I am constantly retuning my inner radio to a higher frequency than those noises, to a station where those voices just aren't the loudest ones, and where I am more directly listening to the messages from spirit and communicating as best as I am able to back to spirit through my work. And I do incorporate magical techniques into my creative practice that this is essentially what my book is about. You know, I sometimes cast circle before I write or I light a candle or light some incense or, you know, make an offering, ask for help, do an invocation to muses, deities, capital S spirit, all of these different things. It really doesn't matter honestly what you do whatever works whatever gets you there honey whatever it is that you need to do for yourself to help you shift into that more spiritually minded mode is good enough and so when I'm in that mode it's not that those little chattering doubts totally go away but I'm just more focused on doing my work of Communicating with spirit and letting spirit communicate through me. And this is when I'm writing or, you know, doing any other kind of creative, generative work. Now, I know and I will shift into that more pragmatic material mode later, that mode where I'm editing and fixing and critiquing and marketing and choosing whether or not to share what I made and figuring out how to best share it. But you simply can't worry about that or focus too much on that while you are making whatever it is that wants to be made by you. So just give yourself time to just make for the sake of making, to make your creative magic for and with spirit as an offering, and then figure out 
what you want to do with whatever it is you made with whatever the results are afterwards when you are out of that mode. So there's a lot more to say about all that, which is why I'm writing a whole book on the topic. But I hope that that general explanation will at least help free you from worrying about the outcome of your work or the reception of your work, which is what gets in the way of so many of us before we even start making the work. I truly hope that helps, and I so look forward to hearing about how things develop for you, so please do keep in touch and let me know. Now, on to my guest. Chelsea Wolfe is a critically acclaimed singer, guitarist, and songwriter who has been hailed by Guitar World as the queen of gothic industrial guitar. Her shadowy, dreamy music has also been described as doom folk or goth folk, though her albums have spanned genre, from rock to electronica and so much in between. She's been celebrated for her many solo offerings, as well as her collaborations, including her otherworldly contributions on the soundtrack to the 2022 horror film, X. On this episode, we celebrate the forthcoming release of Chelsea's seventh studio album under her own name, which is called She Reaches Out to She Reaches Out to She. will be out on February 9th on Loma Vista, and it is truly a gorgeous and epic and cathartic and I believe healing offering, blending elements of trip hop with her signature dark guitar and entrancing vocals. Several singles and videos from this album have dropped already, and each is exquisite in their own right, so do check them out. And the new album is available for pre-order now, as are tickets to Chelsea's 2024 tour, so be sure to snag yours now before it all sells out. I first spoke with Chelsea on The Witch Wave in 2019, and it has just been an absolute thrill to witness her powerful evolution and revolution in the time since. Chelsea joined me from her home in Northern California via Zoom. Chelsea Wolf, welcome back to The Witch Wave. Thank you so much, Pam. I'm so happy to be back. I'm so happy to hear your voice. (laughs) It was so nice to see you. This is just such a pleasure. So we have a lot to catch up on. 
you and I spoke officially in the podcast capacity in October of 2019. And my goodness, the world changed pretty much, you know, just a couple months after that. And then I've had the good fortune of getting to spend time with you outside of the podcast space too, which has been a total dream. But I wanted to kind of just place us in terms of how things changed. Obviously, there's the global changes of everything that went down in 2020 and so on. But how have you changed ever so briefly since the last time we spoke? What's feeling different for you? Yeah. It's wild to think about how much time has passed. I think one of the main things for me is that in January of 2021, I decided to get sober from alcohol. And that's been a pretty big shift for me in my personal life and my personal growth and my magical practice and just been a really big blessing for me. And I think it was just needed, not just because of the pandemic, but it was something that I needed to do years before, but the time at home allowed me to do that a bit easier without having the pressure of like being on the road and playing in bars where alcohol is, you know, very present all around me. Yeah, I would say that's probably one of the biggest changes for me personally. And I also, since I last talked to you on the podcast, I left my former record label and management company and made that big shift and transition in my career, which was also a pretty big change for me. And that's been really exciting and feeling really expansive. And I've just really been focusing on alignment and authenticity in my own life. And so I've I'm, I'm just been making shifts. Ooh, I love that. Well, first of all, congratulations on getting sober. I have so many people in my life that I love who have been on that journey. And I know it's not always an easy one, but I'm so happy for you. And I also want to congratulate you on jumping or shifting to this new label. And we don't have to talk about the whys of why you left your old label <laughs> unless you want to. But I know that it was definitely a change that you needed to make for yourself. And so however much you care to share about that, I'm sure our listeners would be curious about it. Mm. Well, I kind of have been thinking about it in the context of the chariot tarot card since last year was the chariot year. I actually left my former label in 2022, but the majority of the actual transition away from them and onto the new was in 2023, the chariot year. So I think Lindsay Mack gave a sort of visual around the chariot card where it is working technically on the surface, but if you look a little bit closer, the wheels are crumbling a little bit and things are kind of starting to fall apart and the colors are fading. And I'm not quoting her exactly, but that was kind of the, the vision that I got from it as well. And that's kind of how things started to feel, where I felt like there was a complacency. In your own work, with yourself, kind of? Just the way things were going in my career in general. Mm -hmm. Things were feeling very stagnant. Mm -hmm. That's the word that was coming to mind for me, too. Yeah, things were crumbling, and I just really needed to make that choice for myself, not just steer the chariot a different way, but to actually move to a different chariot, if that makes yes. sense. Yes, yes, it does. So your chariot has shifted you or rotated you or revolutionized you to this new label and to your first, if I'm tracking this correctly, your first solo album since Birth of Violence. You've done a lot of other collaborative work since then, and I want to dive into some of that. But am I correct? This is your first solo album since last time we spoke. Yeah, exactly. I did do a lot of collaborations during the pandemic time, and 
this is my first, yeah, Chelsea Wolf record since Birth of Violence, and it feels really good to get back to that. First of all, I love this album so much. It is absolutely stunning. And I think I told you when I first heard it that it somehow feels like intimate and completely epic at the same time. I don't know how you managed to pull that off. It's some kind of sonic magic trick, but it's just a really beautiful album. So first of all, congratulations. I absolutely love it. Thank you so much. That's so good to hear. So let's first start with the title of this album. I don't know if you started with the title first or if that came later, but I would love to hear you expand upon this very intriguing title which is she reaches out to, she reaches out to she. Yeah, I kind of intonated as she reaches out to she, reaches out to she. And it's this feeling of the selves, like the past self reaching out to the current self, reaching out to the future self and different incarnations of that as well. You know, the future self reaching out to the past self and kind of offering guidance. I think that many of us have had experiences where we feel like we've gotten in touch with either the inner child or a past version of ourselves, and maybe offered them some help. And also, I think that the future self oftentimes can sort of reach back and pull us forward in the right way. And yes, we can ask the future self for help. And at the same time, I often think about how the decisions that I'm making right now are in service of my future self. And yeah, I wanted there to be this kind of cyclical visual of the album title as well, where that can kind of be written in an infinite loop. That's kind of where it started. I mean, I was talking to the producer, Dave Siddick, who worked on this record about how I wanted to convey this message. And he was the one who suggested that I just say it very literally, mm. you know, instead of trying to find some cryptic way of explaining this, just literally say she reaches out to she reaches out to she. So yeah. it's so, so evocative. And I love what you just said about our different selves, how we almost have this time traveling capability. I do this all the time. I think about like little Pammy G and I reach back (laughs) to her and I'll be like, it's going to be okay. Like your life's going to be super cool. Like hang in there. And then I had this experience recently where I rediscovered an old photograph of myself as this little tiny kid. And I'm singing to myself in like my mom's Mm -hmm. hot comb, like a curling iron in front of the mirror and just had this lack of self-consciousness in terms of being like seen and performing and all of this stuff. And finding this photograph recently made me feel like little her was time traveling to me in the present and reminding me to, you know, shine really bright. And I don't know if you've had experiences like that specifically, but I love doing those kinds of, I don't know if they're like thought projections or real-time travel or how it all works, but it feels like it does. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that just gave me chills. I remember when you shared that. I loved that so much. (laughs) Definitely. I've had experiences in therapy. I have a really wonderful therapist who does different modalities, and one of them is guided visualizations. And I've done ones with my child self. I recently did one with my 16-year-old self, which was really healing and really powerful. Ah, I can imagine. (laughs) Yeah. And actually one of the first ones we did, I wasn't expecting this, but I saw a future version of myself. This was before I got sober and I kind of saw this like glowing, more healthy, positive version of myself from the future, sort of like literally reaching a hand towards me, which is also where some inspiration for the album title came from. And after that visualization, I kind of had this inner knowing that I could get sober and I could do this and take this stuff in my life. So it was really empowering. Chelsea, no, I have chills. That is so (laughs) incredible. Do you remember approximately what age you saw yourself as? 
The future self, I mean, mm -hmm. honestly, it was probably now, you know, it wasn't too much older. It was just enough where this future version of myself was sort of calling to me and saying that I could do this. Ah, uh, that is so incredible. Like, I literally have full body chills right now. I love <laughs> this so much. Yeah. So beautiful. So let's get into the songs. There are several themes on this record that come up lyrically, at least that I've been able to discern. There seems to be a lot of shedding. You literally use the words cut the cords, cut ties in your beautiful song Whispers in the Echo Chamber. You talk about severing. You talk about walking through fire. I mean, it's a lot of like initiatory magic, right? And yeah. so I wondered if that was what you were trying to conjure through these songs. Definitely. The wild thing about this album is that similarly to like what I was just telling you about the visualization, seeing my future self, I feel like these songs were also from my future self. And I would write a song like Whispers in the Echo Chamber about cutting the chords from toxic mind patterns and things like that. And then immediately after, I would have that knowing once again that I could do it. And I literally would do these things. I literally did cord cutting ceremonies and moved on from people and, and things and started doing that work within myself to retrain my mind from negative thought patterns into positive ones and things like that. So yeah, I keep saying this thing where these songs demanded to be lived because as soon as I would write them, it was like they weren't going to let me get away without actually going through these experiences myself, you know, and possibly I have before, obviously we go through cycles and repeat things in our lives, but I just feel like so many of these songs, as soon as I finished writing them, it was like I would find myself in the exact situation and that song would sort of help me know the way forward. Mm, how incredible. Now, when you're writing this music, and we talked a little bit about this last time, I know that sometimes, you know, you can almost go into these like fugue states or trance-like states or channeling states happens for you sometimes. But for this album in particular, was there anything different about your creative process or your magico creative process that brought them through? I think the writing process was a bit more intentional. I was intentionally creating containers and setting the space and meditating before and really clearing my mind and focusing in and working on the lyrics for a really long time. I had a lot more time to work on this record in general than I thought I would because just the way the world was, obviously, and sure. not being able to get together in person with people and stuff. But yeah, I really enjoyed that process of sitting down, creating a container and really spending a lot of time and energy with just one song at a time and making sure I was saying what I wanted to say and putting magic and intention into as much of it as I could. And some of it still is obviously that thing where, like I said, I'm writing these songs and I don't know exactly what they're about at the time, but immediately after it all makes sense. So. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, so I want to talk about the sound of this album and how it feels. I consider you a kind of sonic shapeshifter, and that's not to say that there isn't a very consistent through line of like beauty and shimmer and shadow and fantasy and all of the things that the Chelsea Wolf experience is, right? But I do see you as someone who like your albums sound very different from each other sonically. And this album to me, and, and please jump in and correct me because you are the expert here, but where let's say Birth of Violence felt a little more like noir Americana, there was a lot more like acoustic sounds. This album feels uh, 
there's more electronic music happening. It feels very beat-driven. There is some softness to it. I kept thinking about the music I loved when I was growing up in the 90s, and like I loved Tricky and Portishead. And that's not to say that your album is just trip-hop. It's not. But even like Nine Inch Nails, like some of that kind of music was evoked for me in these sounds. Yeah. Am I at all in the right room here? Oh, totally. Yeah. That's great that you can hear that for sure. There's definitely the trip hop influence. But as you said, it's not just that. It's a real mix of things. And the producer I mentioned, Dave Siddick, it was in his studio where all of this transformation happened. We had the demos for a really long time and there were electronic moments and trip hop moments, but it was more so rock based. And then once we started working with Dave and got into his studio, which is basically just this wall of modular synthesizers and old analog synths from the 70s and the 80s, and we took the songs in a new direction. And it was really actual magic (laughs) watching these songs transform and taking a guitar part and running it through this wall of you know flashing lights and little modular synths and then it would come out the other side sounding totally different and more elemental and i don't know i just i kept thinking of like the crackling fire and like the watery waves and things like that as these songs were coming together and as the sounds of the songs were transforming so it became a lot more electronic and i felt really excited about that i think i was really ready for change in my life, obviously, at that point. Yeah. I had been making a lot of changes in my life, so I was really open to the songs changing as well. I think it's so brave, though, because so many artists get stuck in this trap of sameness or feeling like, well, this formula worked already and my fans love it. You know, they might feel scared to offer something new, but I feel like you've always been, I want to use the word fearless, or maybe you've had the fear, but you've overcome the fear in terms of just letting yourself shapeshift. Yeah, I think it's just something that comes naturally to me. (laughs) And I don't know if I've ever really been very aware of it, but I've just kind of followed my intuition with where the next record needs to go and understanding that there'll be enough through lines that I think the people who follow my music will be interested enough to at least check it out and hopefully be into it. But it is a little scary sometimes. I mean, with this one, when the first songs came out, it was like, I definitely feel like my voice sounds really different. So that was kind of the scariest part for me because I felt like I had kind of become really comfortable with my voice. And there was also kind of an element of just wanting my voice to feel how I was feeling, which was very like raw and vulnerable and honestly a bit burnt out. Not Mm. saying that I put like burnout into my voice, but it was just where I was at. I needed to kind of be in this like calm space. It was a little scary to uh, put that out there, but it's authentic. And I think the energy that we're all looking for right now is like authenticity within ourselves and with each other. So, Absolutely. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Getting to know Woo. It's about destigmatizing what is woo-woo. We can't do double-blind studies on the Akashic Records, but there is wisdom to be had. The longer you do this and the more you read, the older you get, the more you realize you know nothing. (laughs) My relationship with the Akashic field is like a relationship between two alive beings. What I'm referring to with inner child work is you're aware of your feelings, you know they're there of that inner child, but you're showing up with compassion while you're feeling the feelings. Wow. 
Wow. <laughs> I do think it opens up the great question of are people born impasse or can sensitivity blossom? That is part of the learning here. You have to trust in order to learn it. <laughs> Get in, woozers. We're going podcasting. Listen to Getting to Know Woo with me, Natasha Levenger, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcast. The Witch Wave is sponsored by BetterHelp. So I'm not the biggest fan of New Year's resolutions. I think they can sometimes be really punishing or really self-critical. And I'm all about celebrating what we're doing right or trying to generate just more positivity in the new year. The last couple years, my New Year's resolution has just been to have more fun, to be kinder to myself and other people, or to keep up the good work that I might have already started the year prior. So around New Year's, it's a really good time to think about what we're already doing right and expand upon that. Therapy helps you find those strengths so that you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes for yourself that really stick and help add positivity into your life. You guys know that I'm a huge proponent of therapy. I've been in some form of therapy on and off since I was probably about 14 years old, and it has helped me be a much more effective, well-adjusted, positive human being. That doesn't mean that I don't have my down days. Of course, we all do. But it really helps give me the tools to cope, to adapt, and to see things through a more positive framework. I've said it a hundred times, and I'm going to say it a hundred and one. If I could wave my magic wand and give everybody on earth therapy, I would. It has helped me that much. And during this time of year especially, I'm so grateful that I found a wonderful therapist because the winter blues are no joke, and my therapist helps me see the light during even my darkest days. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. And all you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So this new year, celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash WitchWave today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash WitchWave. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today, I'm speaking with Chelsea Wolf. 
So Chelsea, we were just talking about how your voice maybe felt different or sounds different to you on this new record. And I would love to hear you expand upon that just a little bit more, especially because when you were talking, I was thinking about someone else I adore who's PJ Harvey. Mm -hmm. And PJ, I know over the years, she's really let her voice be like this instrument and she does sound different, especially in her more recent records compared to, you know, her records that came out when she was in her 20s. So what has your relationship been like to your voice recently? I've really been enjoying singing more than ever. And I think part of that is kind of letting my voice in a more like natural state of just how it wants to come out right now. And also an acceptance of your voice changing. I mean, I turned 40 a few months ago. And of course, my voice is going to be different than it was when I was 30 or when I was 20. And just kind of accepting that and rolling with it and not trying to fit it into where it was when I was younger. I'm kind of enjoying like the new richness that it has. And I enjoy that about other singers too. Like when you listen to David Bowie. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if that answers the question. I think I got oh, definitely. a little away from myself for a second. <laughs> no, that was perfect. And P.S., welcome to the 40s club. It's pretty great here. I'm just a couple years <laughs> ahead of you. I'm 42. We'll be 43 very soon. Hello. So yeah. How is it feeling being in your 40s, Chelsea? Really good. I posted something like this on Instagram about how I feel like this is the age that I was always meant to be. Like as soon as I turned 40, <laughs> there was just like this, almost like a sigh of relief. I don't know how to explain it. It just feels good to me. I'm excited about it. I love hearing that because I don't have to tell you or our listeners like the messages that we get as women as we age about our attractiveness, our desirability. And it's so interesting because those messages come we're supposed to feel less beautiful, less desirable, all those things. And yet I feel like more, I'm just going to say powerful than mm -hmm. I ever have. And I still have lots of demons that I'm slaying or keeping at bay all the time. Of course. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's a cool decade so far. Yeah, me too. Honestly, it is hard to understand when you're younger and you hear 40-year-old plus women say things like this, but you truly do feel more empowered and just more comfortable in yourself. And it is really a good feeling. So if you're afraid of getting older, you at least have that to look forward to. Absolutely. Now, I want to talk about the visuals of this album, because something else that I love about you, in addition to your music, is you really give us the whole fantasy you are so thoughtful about the people that you collaborate with in terms of what you wear, both when you perform and in your videos. You work with incredible designers. You work with incredible directors and art directors. And there are certainly some themes that I'm teasing out just based on your record design and also the couple videos that you've released. So can you give us a couple visual footholds <laughs> to mix metaphors in terms of how you want this album to look? Yeah, I really wanted there to be a sort of central theme, like a sort of object or symbol that I could keep going back to. And what it turned out to be is this egg. A few years back, a painter friend had sent me some watercolor supplies and then this movie recommendation, which was 80s anime film called Angel's Egg. And it's just this sort of mysterious post-apocalyptic 
visual story of this girl protecting an ominous egg, which represents some kind of new beginning or purpose. And it's really unclear what's inside the egg or if she even knows. So that kind of became the touchstone for me is like in my own life, I had been making all of these shifts and transformations and there just felt like there was so much possibility in my future and mystery to come. And I was kind of welcoming that and embracing it. So I allowed this egg to be a sort of visual representation of all that possibility and mystery. And the way that I was cradling this actual glass egg on the album cover was in that same sense of like, I don't know exactly what's in this egg, but I really want to protect it and nurture it and love on it and just like give it the care to welcome this egg for this new era. Yes. Oh, I, I have so much I want to say about this egg thing because I'm obsessed with eggs as metaphors and as works of art, but also the alchemical egg, the magical egg, which appears mm -hmm. in so many different cultures. I'm thinking about the divination practice called oomancy, which is like, you know, when you crack an egg and then you let the yolk and the mm. whites go in a glass of water and then you kind of do a reading based on the swirling in the water, almost like you would reading tea leaves or other kinds of divinatory practices. And right. it makes me think of like the limpia also, the ritual in Latinx countries where they like take an egg and they kind of put it over your body to heal you. I think a lot of times they also will crack it and they'll read the yolk and the white and see if you have any like bad energy that they need to clear or release for you. So it's just such a powerful, magical symbol. And mm -hmm. I love that for you. It came kind of from this anime film. What was it about the film that struck you? Like, was it the vibe of the design? Was it the story? Or is it more primal than that even? I like the idea that we don't know exactly what is in this egg. It's kind of clear what's in the egg, but it's also, mm -hmm. it just feels like the one thing that you know about it is that it's a new beginning. And it's something that she obviously is trying very hard to protect. I was also very drawn to Marjorie Cameron's The Black Egg painting. Yes. So that was another really big reference. And once I saw that painting again in the Toshin Witchcraft book. <laughs> shout out. Yeah, a little shout out. But <laughs> Which you are a, in, by the way, yeah, for yeah. listeners who haven't seen it yet. <laughs> Such a beautiful photo of you. Yeah, and I'd seen that painting before. But once I saw it again in the book, I immediately thought of that film again. And it all kind of came together. And I instantly did a sort of self-portrait series with this crystal black egg that I had just as a sort of reference of like, I want the album cover to be something like this. And so, I, yeah, I took a bunch of self-portraits and then eventually worked with photographer Ibra Yildiz to sort of bring it to life in a, a fresh way. Ah, oh, that makes me so happy. And not to brag, Chelsea, but I got to show that very painting in one of the art shows I curated many moons ago, which was called Amazing. Language of the Birds, Occult and Art. And it was such oh, a dream yes. come true to get to spend time with it. Oh, wow. I know. Yeah. I mean, I still pinch myself about some of the work that I got to hang mm -hmm. out with for those weeks. That's amazing. But this is also reminding me of like other paintings that were often from female surrealists with eggs. Like I'm thinking about there's also a Leonore Feeney painting, Guardian of the Black Egg, and then the Leonora Carrington painting, The Giantess, which I think is also called like the Guardian of the Egg as a subtitle you're in this amazing lineage of like witchy magical artists who are drawn to this image and it makes me wonder 
for me as someone who's chosen not to have children, I still am very interested in the archetype of like birthing and bringing creation into the world that might not be a literal child, but it can be my magic, my art, you know, my relationships. So I don't know if you had any sort of thoughts around that and totally fine if not. Yeah, well, I mean, I think knowing that I have never wanted children and I'm never planning on having children, I still have a very nurturing side. Yes. And I'm kind of in that era of feeling like I have a mothering energy, but I'm channeling it into different things like art and music and friendship. And I'm reconnecting with a lot of family members that I haven't talked to for a long time. And yeah, I'm expressing it through (laughs) things like this, like this album cover. Nice, nice. So let's talk about the videos as well that you've released so far. As we're recording this, there are two that I'm familiar with. And then you also have like a, I forget what they're called, the lyrics only videos, but you have two that are starring you. And my understanding is that they were both shot in Colombia, correct? Mm -hmm. And these are beautiful. And, And just to kind of set the stage a little bit, one of the videos is Whispers in the Echo Chamber. And that is the black and white one, correct? And Tunnel Lights is the one in color. Or did I mix those up? Yeah, that's right. They look really different from each other, both from like the obviously the color differences and the filmic treatments. But there is kind of this through line of like these dreamscapes and these naturescapes that are so, I'm just going to say, like they both feel really witchy to me in this very Mm -hmm. satisfying way. So I'd love to hear how both of these videos came about. I understand it was with the same creative team, right? Yeah, with the same creative team, same director. George Gallardo Kata, he was one of the people who submitted ideas for music videos to my record label and was the one I felt most instantly drawn to. And yeah, just happened to be a Colombian director and invited me down there to film. And I was really excited about the idea of him being able to sort of express his love for his homeland as well as creating this sort of magical realm within it. And the places that we got to film were just incredibly magical, like the Eastern Andes, like the Paramo setting where there's really high elevation, like 12 or 13,000. So there's plants and animals that basically only exist there. And we kind of just got to wander around. And I don't know, I, <laughs> I was watching some of the behind the scenes stuff from the filming of Lord of the Rings and, and The Hobbit recently. And I kind of related to it because that's how the music video felt. It was just this crew of people walking through these amazing mountains and then just stopping and filming for a little while and then mm. moving on and to a different location and yeah just wearing these long dresses and holding I mean they're so fucking and, epic yeah. Chelsea uh forgive me for forgetting which video it is but there's the one where all it's like this murmuration of birds is like going behind you I don't know if that is really what happened or if it was CG and you don't have to tell me how the magic trick works but I mean it is so fucking powerful and you look kind of like a giantess it's like so (laughs) amazing it's breathtaking thank you yeah sorry i'm just rambling on about it but no i love it there was just so much yeah finally getting to sort of nod to like the sleep paralysis entity in the whispers in the echo chamber video and Mm -hmm. it was a wonderful experience just to remind folks who might not remember from our last conversation that you do or at least you did struggle with sleep paralysis and i know there's a lot of these myths about 
demons or succubi who can sit on your chest and that's why you're paralyzed from sleep. So that's what you were trying to depict in one of the videos. Is that right? Yeah. George and I decided to sort of create this sleep paralysis entity as a guide, like a positive thing actually to use. Mm. The video is kind of set in the subconscious like a dream. And so this character is sort of leading the way and helping me to break out of patterns within myself and yeah, just acting as a guide. So it was really cool. It's gorgeous. And that's Whispers in the Echo Chamber. That's the black and white. Mm -hmm. I was going to call it a short film because that's what it feels like to me. And this person, this actor or model or dancer, whomever it is, they have a very kind of like angular body too. It reminded me a little bit of, I love the actor Catherine Hunter. I don't know if you saw the Macbeth that one of the Coen brothers did recently, but Catherine Hunter played all three witches in Macbeth oh, and she has yeah. this very like angular body too. So it kind of reminded me of that a little bit. It's so stunning. Yeah, it's a performance artist named Medulla, and they're just so amazing. Really honored to have them in the video. Ah, glorious. On that note, we're going to take another quick break, and we'll be right back. This season of The Witch Wave is brought to you in part by Sphere and Sundry, an astro-magical atelier where you can get expertly elected materia magica, oils, incense, bath salts, salves, inks, beauty oils, and more, which have been ritually crafted during rare, powerful, and benefic astrological configurations. And oh my word, I can tell you firsthand, this is the stuff. These formulas are chosen in accord with the strict requirements of the talismanic tradition outlined in the Picatrix and other ancient grimoires, meaning you can benefit from the power of amazing astrological transits, even when the stars haven't aligned. These are incredible tools for witches who are looking to embrace the manifestations and results of their spell work, especially the Luna in Cancer series. And I myself have the Luna in Cancer incense, and it is a dream to use for any kind of lunar magic. Venus Materia can be used for love, glamour, and attraction. Regulus for fame and recognition, Asclepius for healing and transformation, and Deneb Algedi for protection. I also used several of Sphere and Sundry's magical products on site in Greece during our group rituals, and they were so potent and so exquisite. I can't say enough good things about them. Since 2018, Sphere and Sundry have been a key driver in the rising tide of popularity and interest in astrological magic, amassing over 5,000 five-star reviews and field reports on their website. Most orders ship within one business day, and Sphere and Sundry is also well known for their incredible customer service as they are their magical results, and I can attest to that as well. Learn more and get $10 off your first order at spheresundry.com using the code WITCHWAVE. That's spheresundry.com, S-P-H-E-R-E-A-N-D-S-U-N-D-R-Y.com and use code WITCHWAVE for $10 off your first order. 
Hi, Witch Wavers. I have exciting news. At long last, we have some new Witch Wave merch available for you now through TeePublic. We decided to go with TeePublic for our new Witchwave merch because it is a print-on-demand site, which means you can get different variations of the Witchwave logo printed on t-shirts, mugs, totes, stickers, magnets, notebooks, oh my gods, the sky's the limit. And the shirts come in different styles and fabrics and colors and are available in sizes small through 5XL, so you can order whatever you'll feel you're most magical in. So head on over to witchwavepodcast.com slash shop. Wave. Today, I'm speaking with Chelsea Wolf. So Chelsea, we were talking about your music videos. I want to pivot and talk about your live performance. You are going on tour. I really hope I get to see you again because last time I saw you perform, my heart stopped. Like I just was in absolute awe of you. Just such a beautiful performer which, you know, it doesn't always translate. I've been a fan of a lot of musicians and I love their albums and then you see them live and they just can't translate it well. And you do such a magnificent job of translating your music into this live experience that you're offering to us. And so I'd love to hear about your plans for this tour in terms of what the visuals are going to be, what the band is going to be like, like what's the vibe? It's all sort of coming together, you know, it's getting close, but we've been rehearsing for quite a while and figuring out how to sort of translate the transformations that these songs took back into the live setting. So it's kind of funny. It's like I said, a guitar part ended up becoming an electronic part in the studio, and then it's becoming a guitar part again, and, you know, in different ways, using different guitar pedals and stuff to sort of emulate the sounds of synthesizers. And also Ben, who plays bass and keyboard, is adding some actual synthesizers and things like that and drum machines to sort of bring the album feel to the live setting and drummer as well. Yeah, so we're adding some new things, but it's still a four-piece band. And I made the decision for the new songs to focus mainly on singing because, as I said before, I'm really enjoying singing right now. And I just kind of want to be in that and then, you know, for the older songs and I'll pick the guitar back up again. Mm Mm-hmm. That coming together sonically and then visually, it's still definitely in the works. I have visions that I want to come to life, but it's not always. Are you going to hatch out of a giant fucking egg? (laughs) Oh my God, I wish. Can you imagine? (laughs) It's like the beginning of the Matrix. You're just covered in yolk and goo. Be epic, but probably kind of uncomfortable for the whole hour and a half or whatever. That's incredible. I love that. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's definitely a lot more simplistic. The main thing I would really like to convey, if I can, is some sort of triptych, like some kind of three, she reaches out to she, reaches out to she, like some sort of three yes. element. So we'll see if I can pull it off. But I actually kind of want things to be a little bit more stripped down. Something about these new songs feel that way to me. So I want it to be like visually beautiful, but also not too much going on and just let my amazing lighting guy do his thing. Mm. He's really great at creating portals up there. So I'm excited to see what he's got planned for this one. That's so cool. I didn't even realize you have just like one lighting person that travels with you or at least programs something for you that's consistent throughout. That's how little I know about touring. I always kind of assume just the venue does whatever they do. But I suppose once you get to a certain level, you have more control over that stuff. I think once you find a person that you connect with, then yeah, you try to hold on to them. And I think he really enjoys working with us as well. So it's been a good collaboration. That's so cool. And so when we spoke last time on the pod, you were kind of, I don't know, for the first time, but you were definitely like coming out of the broom closet more publicly in terms of like talking about your magic, your identity as a witch, your rituals. So where are you now in terms of how you may incorporate ritual or magic into your performance, whether that's to prepare you to perform or anything you might be bringing as you perform? I think it's still much more a part of the behind the scenes for me, just using my rituals and my tools to really prepare myself mentally and spiritually and emotionally to bring as much as I can to the show. Obviously, the Birth of Violence tour was much more visually representative of like a magic circle and this sort of magical candelabra tree Ugh, and things like the that. The branches. It was I gorgeous. <laughs> Me fucking too. I wish I could tour with that forever, honestly. But, <laughs> but yeah, I think this one's going to be a lot more of like internal spirit and just trying to really share myself energetically and vocally with the audience. And yeah, we'll see. I mean, one thing that's really special is I have been collaborating on a custom incense with Black Earth Botanica. Oh, yes. Such a fan of. And she created, you know, in collaboration with me, a custom incense that's going to be something that I'm selling at the shows, but also that I'm going to burn at least before the show a little bit. So Ugh. it's kind of part of it. I know some people are sensitive to smell, so I'm not going to burn it the entire time just in case. Yeah. So that's going to be a, something special and new for me. Gorgeous, gorgeous. And we have to talk about the fashion, Chelsea. I mean, if you don't want to spoil it, I understand if you want to keep things a surprise, but I just always love the way you use adornment to shift your energy and to create these beautiful shapes and become this kind of otherworldly being or many otherworldly beings, depending on the context. So can you talk a little bit about who you might be collaborating with for your costumes? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm so lucky to keep collaborating with Jenny Hensler in New York and has made stage clothes for me for many tours now. And we worked on a new little collection for this era as well. And I was wearing some of it in the music videos and there's also some pieces for stage. I think I was really interested in going with fabrics that felt sheer and like had some textures to it. I was thinking of sort of like egg membrane in a way. Yes. <laughs> and finding just little subtle ways to reflect that. Not sure if it'll come across, but there is the uh, intention there to have that sort of membranous, like sheer flowing kind Secret of... Secret viscosity. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. That's gorgeous. Oh, I love the sound of that. And you get to keep all of your stage costumes, right? Yes. Ah, 
please tell me you just swan around in the house and then <laughs> once in a while. Just, ah, uh, they're so beautiful. I should actually wear them more. Sometimes I'm like looking for something to wear to an event and I'm like, why don't I just wear one of the pieces that I wear on stage? Like there's no oh, reason right? I can't. And then I end up doing that. So yeah. <laughs> incredible. Incredible. Do you like touring? Because there's a real difference between doing a performance and sustaining that energy and doing it over and over again every night. How do you preserve your sense of self, your well-being, your enthusiasm? I have to imagine there are ups and downs to it. Right. Well, I think before, the problem was that I didn't have any boundaries. So I was <laughs> kind of giving way too much energy away before and after the show. Mm -hmm. So I think now that I've gotten sober and I've done a lot more work in that realm of myself and trying to not be a people pleaser and to actually have boundaries and healthier relationships and things like that, I just look forward to kind of putting that into play in the touring realm because I haven't toured very much since the pandemic, since I got sober. So it'll be, I think, a really new experience. And I'm actually excited about <laughs> doing things in a new way and, yes. and trying out these new tricks and tools. Yeah. Ah, that's so beautiful. I love the sound of that. And how are you feeling about your relationship to, I'll just broadly say, magic these days? So good. I mean, honestly, just that question just gives my heart a flutter. Like, I'm so grateful for magic. I'm just so in love with it. And it's such an important part of my life and just everything that I do and feeling stronger and, and better than ever. And like I said, I, I keep a lot of it kind of behind the scenes, but I'm also talking about it a lot during interviews and conversations with rock magazines and stuff. And they end up asking me about witchcraft. So it's, it's interesting that I'm feeling a lot more comfortable talking about it in everyday settings. I love that. And I noticed that you designed an oracle deck that accompanies this album. And I'd love to hear what that process was like. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of been a sort of life dream someday to do an oracle deck. And it was something that my new manager brought up. Like, why don't we do like a tarot deck or something for this record? And I was instantly like, yes, that is a great idea. And so instead of doing a full tarot deck or a big project, I decided to just make a corresponding card to each song because each song has so much meaning and story behind it for me that I wanted to try to distill that down to a card. And it was really fun working on it because I loved the graphic designer we worked with for this record and he did all the, the artwork and the lettering and you know the circular she reaches out to she for the album cover Christopher Lucky. Yeah, it was a real pleasure to work with him on these oracle cards and give him sort of symbols and elements and things and see him craft them into the cards. And he was all about like the specific color blue and how it related to dusk and you know, things like that. So it was all really magical and lovely. You seem to have such deep respect and even adoration for your collaborators. And when I think about you, even though I absolutely think of you as a solo entity and a true artist unto yourself, I do think of you as someone who collaborates really well with others. And I'm thinking about some of the projects that you did over the pandemic. You did the soundtrack to the horror movie X. And that soundtrack is so beautiful, Chelsea. And I'm going to be a real dork and admit that I'm too scared to watch that film. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I listened to the, the soundtrack and it's gorgeous. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was a wonderful collaboration. Tyler Bates, who's very experienced in that realm. And this was my first time. So I learned a lot by working on this. And my main role was to do 
singing and vocalization. So it was really good to stretch my voice in new ways for this project. It's beautiful. Like I'm going to be listening to that soundtrack as I'm writing my book. Oh, that's cool. I love that. And like not to toot my own horn, but that's very high praise because I'm very careful about (laughs) what I put in my brain meets when I'm writing. And it's just (laughs) so beautiful. Oh, cool. I'm honored. Yeah. It's nice to have you with me a little bit too. And then you also did a collaboration with Converge. This is Blood Moon One. Is that how you would say that title? Yeah. Yeah. And how did that come about? Ben and I have been talking to Converge about doing some stuff together for a long time. A while back, maybe 2016, we did a tour together where it was kind of softer interpretations of some of their classic songs. And then we kept in touch over the years and talked about doing original songs in that same style sending demos back and forth for a long time and it finally started to come together and it was one of the first things that I did when I got sober and it was a great exercise for me to sort of find my creative spark again as a totally clear-headed person and yeah. it was just the perfect thing for me because it was not low pressure but when you're just like one part of seven people making songs it's a lot less pressure I guess than just yeah. doing it less responsibility for sure yeah yeah then carrying the whole thing yourself exactly yeah and so I'm just kind of teasing this out based on things that you're saying, but tell me if I'm jumping to conclusions. Is it fair to say that after Birth of Violence, your last solo record, that you said you were feeling a little stagnant? So between getting sober and then doing these collaborations, do you think that's what pushed you forward enough to know it was time to do this next solo album? Did the collaborations get you ready to know that it was time for a solo Chelsea joint again. Right. I guess I was already planning on this one. I kind of already had it in mind, even while I was doing the touring for Birth of Violence. I had an idea in my head that once I got back from the European leg in March of 2020, which obviously didn't happen, that my bandmates and I would get together and start writing. So it was already there in my head. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, it just took a little bit longer to come to fruition. That makes sense. And in terms of the alchemy of who you collaborate with, like, how do you decide? I mean, I know some of it's going to be about instinct, but is there something that you're looking for when you are considering who you want to share that creative energy with? Yeah, I mean, at a certain point in my life, I was saying yes a little bit too much, you know, in the past because I just think I could say no or something. Yeah. (laughs) Again, didn't have any boundaries as I've gone on. In the years, I've been a little bit more protective of my energy and of my creative fire and like where I want to give that. And I'm definitely, especially more so now, I think I'm kind of at a point where, as they say, it really has to be a fuck yes if I'm going to do it Mm -hmm. because I kind of know where I'm at energetically and I just want to make sure I'm reserving that energy for (laughs) what I truly want to do. It truly feels aligned and yes, I'm a bit more careful now. I love that. I love that. I have to ask you in our final moments together, what your cat situation is like right now. Who are the kitties in your life? Oh, did I tell you about the new cat? I don't think so, Chelsea. Is this breaking news? Let's go. It is. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, my beloved cat passed away last April, and it was really sad for a long time. And then it's the worst. It's the fucking worst. So sad. Yeah. And um, in November, this little black and white cat just started showing up on my porch. And, you know, I live up in the mountains. So I was kind of like, where did this cat come from? I've lived here for a while. I've never seen it. It wasn't fixed or anything. And I didn't have a microchip. Yeah. Over time, just kept coming back. And then I decided to adopt it, went and got it fixed. And it's getting along with my other cat 
really well. And it was a really sweet Christmas time, Yule time, because it was just about getting this cat recovered from surgery and introducing the two new cats. So, ah, I love it. Can you share with us everybody's name? If you don't want to, that's fine too. Oh no, that's that's fine. My one cat's name is Vaughn, who I've shared on you know social media and stuff before. His sister was Wisp, who passed away. Yes. This cat, when I took it to the vet, they were kind of like, I don't know, maybe someone abandoned it. Maybe it's someone's barn cat or something. And so I started calling it Barney <laughs> because <laughs> Barney, the barn cat. So it's kind of a silly name, but I kind of think I needed that too. Just like something sweet and silly. Do you know what? Matt and I had cats with fancy names or soul cats. We had Remy, whose name was short for Remedio Savaro. And mm-hmm. we had Albie after Edward Albie, the playwright. And then, yeah. you know, our recent cats are yeah, Monday birthday. and birthday. <laughs> and they're I just such silly names. But we needed that lightness and that mm-hmm. sweetness in in this tumultuous time. So I say, yes, if it makes exactly you smile, just fucking do it. Yes, I agree. Well, welcome to the Magic Circle, Barney. We're so happy that you are here. Totally. And speaking of circles, I know that people are going to want to enter your Magic Circle via this tour, via this album. So please plug anything and everything you'd like to. Yeah, I'll be going on tour starting at the end of February in North America, mostly U.S. and a few Canada dates. And then we'll be playing some European dates this summer, which I'll be announcing very soon. Yeah, I'm going to be touring a lot this year. So just stay tuned, I suppose, to my Instagram or my website, chelseawolf.com. That's where all the tour dates are and you can get tickets and stuff. Fabulous. Well, I am definitely hoping to be there and catch you on the road. Me too and maybe get to hang out with you, but totally understood if you need to draw those boundaries and keep my ass out of your backstage, that's fine too. (laughs) No, you're one of of the people that I would be delighted to hang out with. Ah, I'm honored (laughs) and I cannot wait to sniff that incense. That sounds like a dream. That sounds dirty. I can't wait to sniff your incense, Chelsea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're getting close. What can I say? (laughs) Well, listen, I am so happy for you. I love this album and I just love hearing you standing in your power and in your music and in your beauty and your magic. It just fills my heart and I find it so inspiring. So thank you so much for just being you, for making the things you make. And thank you for being on the witch wave again. Yes, exactly. All of those things back at you. You're such an inspiration to me, as you know, and I just adore you and very grateful for you and all of your magic as well so thank you so much for having me again that's it for the show thank you again to chelsea wolf for sharing her threefold musical magic with me do you have questions feedback need some witchly advice or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently please do drop us an email or a voice memo at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com We'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on The Witch Wire. The Witch Wave is a phantasmophile production written and produced by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was recorded and edited by Josh Wilcox and or Walter Nordquist and myself. Our theme music is the song Hand and Eye by Lycanthia. Our new Witchwave logo was designed by Thunderwing. And special thanks, as always, go to Matt Freeman, Laura Antal, and Cece Pascal. 
You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website and now buy Witchwave merch over at witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and do consider giving us lots and lots of sparkly stars and glowing reviews. It really, truly does make a difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at WitchWavePod, and you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. My book, Waking the Witch, is available everywhere now, and the witchcraft book I edited and co-authored for Tashin is as well, so thank you for checking those out too. And if you want more Witchwave, or you would just like to support the show, please do join us over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash witchwave. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witchwave. Wave.